Welcome, friends, to our podcast, Arise, My Darling. My name is Andrea, and I am joined by my very sweet friend, Liz. We want this to be a space that encourages and invites you to become more aware of the ways that God is constantly pursuing you. To awaken you to be on the lookout for sweet kisses our Lord sends you each day, because you have ravished His heart. So snuggle in and get ready for epic adventures, unexplainable friendship, and an abundance of joy. Hello, our darlings, and welcome to our final episode of season two. Wow, it has been, this is 15, episode 15. It is crazy that we are here already. We were just talking beforehand that, yeah, we started this season with Andrea had just become Catholic. Amen. And if that that feels like a lifetime ago. (laughs) (laughs) It does. And yet Catholicism still feels like I don't quite have it all figured (laughs) out. I still forget when I'm supposed to kneel, things like that. And I'm sure that's going to take a while. But um, I have enjoyed daily mass immensely, immensely, like more than I can ever imagine. So so good. I feel like it's it's such a sweet gift. Amen. Yes. And I feel like we have to do a little little shout out to last week. (laughs) We want everyone to know that we are okay. We are We're, okay. We are. Yeah. The beauty of this podcast is we want to bring you guys on a journey of the things that are going on in our own hearts and where we're with Jesus. And the truth is, it's just not always sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes there are just weeks where, yeah, we enter into the passion, enter into the crucifixion with Jesus and then there's other weeks that we are living fully in the, it just feels like a resurrection week that everything's getting resurrected and it's good and we're celebrating mm-hmm. Easter. But yeah, it's both sides, right? That there are points where there's some desolation or some heartache. And then there's other moments where we just sit in wonder and awe. There's just both sides. And so I think last week brought a side that we haven't talked a lot about, which is the one of desolation, but we are back. We are our back. peppy selves. And, <laughs> and we promised we'll, to do sweet kisses this week. We promised to do sweet kisses. <laughs> <laughs> not trying to rattle anyone's cage, but uh, I, I do know, appreciate we really, that we were just very honest. Now we recorded very late in the evening too. So that probably we lent did, itself we did. <laughs> to some yeah. of the tone. Uh, that we it had. was it was somber it was a somber tone it was it was but both of us are really convicted about joy in our lives that it mm. isn't something you can be flippant about and it is very different from just being happy and we don't want to just record something that's happy we want to have an authentic depth with our savior and we're both in a space of realizing okay you know what we need to really think about this. and We, we need to reclaim to that joy. We need to go Amen. back into that space with Jesus and make sure that we are abiding with him for sure. But what are we going to talk about today, Andrea? Hey, we in our last podcast have saved the best for last. We will be <laughs> talking about raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11 and the topic of love. Love, L, <laughs> is for the way no, you look don't do it. at don't me. Do it. <laughs> That's all so I So Liz, tell us more about love. <laughs> the definition of love, as I understand it, is to will the good of another, which is simple and beautiful and is the heart of everything that we do as Christians, right? Love is to will the good of the other, to will them to be a part of 
the fullness of what they were created for, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a relationship with Jesus. And the catechism of the Catholic Church has this beautiful little blurb from St. Therese Lisieux's autobiography. And I feel like it just captures the power and the necessity of love. And this is what it says. If the church was a body composed of different members, it couldn't lack the noblest of all. It must have a heart, a heart burning with love. And I realized that this love alone was the true motive force, which enabled the other members of the church to act. If it ceased to function, the apostles would forget to preach the gospel. The martyrs would refuse to shed their blood. Love, in fact, is the vocation, which includes all others. It's a universe of its own, comprising all time and space. It's eternal. It's beautiful. Love is the vocation. Love is our job. Love is what we're called to and called to do. And it's what Jesus did. And we're just imitating his example. Oh, I love that. Yeah. This has been the beauty of the journey for me. And I think as well for you, Liz, that as we've looked at these fruits of the spirit and we've just read through John together, we've just seen and felt a depth of character in Jesus that Mm -hmm. can only embolden us to desire to be like him. Amen. That, that is what I have seen. It's like an, I just want to be like him because he was so good and loving and gentle and peaceful. Like all these things yes, amen. that we've been talking about. I've thoroughly enjoyed this ride of seeing a fullness, a greater complexity of uh, Jesus. And then just diving into the stories and the miracles to um, kind of mine that gold out of there and mm. have this not just appreciation, but just a deeper love for Christ himself and knowing that that is available for us. Yeah. Well, I think we started this whole series saying, we're going to convince you all why Jesus is the perfect lover and why you should (laughs) fall in love with him and let him love you. (laughs) And that's what we've done. Like all of these fruits of the spirit, all these attributes, the stories after stories that we hear, it makes us very confident that Jesus is a good lover And we should not only fall in love with him, but we should imitate him, which is what discipleship is. It is imitation. So everything that we are called to do or asked to do through the scriptures, it's because Jesus did it first, right? Christ first and showed us, modeled for us, what a life of abundance looks like, what a life in its fullness could look like. It was Jesus's life. Yeah. Yeah. And that didn't mean it was always easy. It didn't mean it was always hard. It was Mm. diverse, very diverse. There were moments of solitude. There were moments with the big crowds. There were moments of violence and there was moments of peace. I mean, it it was Mm -hmm. very diverse. So we would love to transition into reading the passage of the raising of Lazarus and Andrea Peruge. Would you like to set us up and tell us what we're getting ourselves into here? Yes. Yes, I would. So when we started down this road, we talked about um, that there were seven miracles in the book of John that were to help display uh, Jesus's power and his divinity. And so the raising of Lazarus is actually the seventh 
of those. And you'll find in the book of John, we very quickly start to transition into the passion of the Christ after this miracle. Um, so, but as we read through it, I want to encourage you to just look for some of the familiar patterns that we've been talking about the whole time. Uh, the idea of light versus darkness. He goes into that again. Like it's just drumming over and over. And I was saying to Liz earlier, it's like God's form of subliminal love that he's <laughs> constantly not just telling you these stories. He's weaving a constant pattern so that we understand that this is about walking in the light. And in some ways he's entreating us to stop living in the darkness, to move into the light. There's also the classic moment of confusion when he's talking to the disciples and they're like, well, if he's asleep, why don't we just let him be asleep? And he's like, no, nah, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, so <laughs> missed it's it again, same, bros. <laughs> missed it again. Uh, it's the same pattern uh, that where Jesus is talking about spiritual truths and people try and put them in these concrete spaces. Mm. Uh, also, you know, notice the, the progression here. We'll talk about it a little bit more afterwards, but Jesus gets the news and what does he do? I mean, just pay attention to that. That's an important uh, aspect uh, of this whole story. Also, this is the classic section of scripture that when you're told that you have to memorize something, you choose this first, Jesus wept, because it's the <laughs> shortest verse in the New Testament. And most kids are like, see, I, I can memorize scripture. <laughs> but it is a significant thing to hear about Jesus's emotions. We just, we don't hear a lot about his emotions. There's not a lot of records to that. So sometimes the lack of something is as important as the presence of it. So the mm -hmm. fact that we don't hear much about his emotions, and in this event, we hear his emotions several times, actually, that's worth noting. And then finally, just as in the other chapters that we've looked at, Jesus will be telling us one of the greatest truths of the word, that I am the resurrection. And note, who does he say that to? Who is the person who gets to receive that? The way we looked at Nicodemus and the woman at the well, like he is proclaiming a great truth to somebody who in the culture may or may not seem worthy of such a great truth. So there's a lot of the same patterns that we've seen, but I'm going to read the passage this week because I <laughs> love it so very much and I am so very eager to read it. So here we go. John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent out word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. 
So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Mm. Yes. Mm. Mm. So good. Mm, it's so so good. good. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Mm. Mm. There's so many like just classic one-liners in there. Exactly. It is is quoted all the time, different pieces of it. So, yeah. Well, Liz, why do you think Jesus had to raise Lazarus from the dead? Yeah. I just love that we are through all of the different fruits of the spirit, all the different stories that we've seen. It's been this like gradual buildup, right? Exactly. He 
walks on water. He heals someone that is blind. He hears someone that's a paralytic. He transforms water into wine. All these stories um, are miracles and are beautiful, but the ultimate thing for him to conquer is death, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's the most powerful thing. Um, It's what makes us finite. If he hadn't conquered death, yeah, after we died, we just, we would turn to ash and nothing would happen. Um, And so I think that it's beautiful that, that Jesus is showing, look, I can conquer death, that it gives him glory and power, that it shows his glory and power. And it also is the foreshadowing of his own death and resurrection. I'm struck too that as the passage goes on, the Pharisees immediately are like, okay, now we're going to have to kill Lazarus too because he's this living testimony of Jesus's Mm. power. And it's really striking if you look at that section right afterwards. And my hope, uh, our darlings, is that you've started to look at the context of things, what comes before and after them, because that really helps broaden your understanding of that section. But the Jews really explicitly state after this whole passage that they're afraid they're going to lose their power, that that's what they're ultimately afraid of. It's like they just stopped looking for a Messiah. They just were so fo- so focused on saving themselves and the positions of authority and influence that they had. They were just, mm-hmm. they, they totally missed the beauty of what we just went through all these last yes. weeks yes. is the progression. And this thing that they prayed and prayed and waited for was right there right there in front of them and they and they just didn't see it because they were overcome with their need to keep their power. And so that's that's an exhortation in and of itself, right? Yeah, because how often in our lives are we the Pharisees, right? Yeah. That we're so focused on power or accomplishment or product or efficiency or whatever it is that we are (laughs) focused on that we miss all of the like all the beauty and all the blessings. I was just having a conversation with a student the other day and she was telling me, yeah, she had had a really tough two weeks. And she was telling me all the things that had happened that were bad. And they just like kept piling on. And I just asked her, I said, where did Jesus show up in those two weeks? Like what, essentially asking her what the sweet kisses of Jesus were. And she's like, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. And I was like, well, think about it for a second. And she thought about it. And and then she gave this beautiful litany of all these different people who had reached out to her and brought her flowers and made her, uh, got her ice cream or checked in with her or FaceTimed her. And she goes, wow, like I didn't even think about all the ways that God had been showing up throughout the week. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just a switch. It's just a perspective switch that we can sit in the darkness, right? Or we can step into the light and see the ways that Jesus is present through all of the chaos. Amen. Amen. So, um, you know, we're talking about the love of God specifically here. How do we, how do we see the love of God in this story? What do you see, Liz? Mm. I think there were two points that really stuck out to me. The first one being the section where these people come to him and they're like, Jesus, Lazarus is dying. You need to go to Mary and Martha. You need to do something about it. But it says he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then later on, he's talking to his apostles and he says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, 
and he's talking about his glory, that his glory can be revealed, that they may believe in the power and the glory of God. And so I was thinking about love. And oftentimes I think that our understanding of what love is, is whatever we can do to make people not feel offended or to not make people feel uncomfortable, that that is, that that is what love is. And, and that can be loving. That can be loving. Absolutely, it can be loving. Yeah. But, yeah, Jesus offended people all the time and made people really time. uncomfortable. <laughs> and I can only imagine what the apostles were thinking as they sat with Jesus for the next two days after they saw Jesus receive the news that his friend was dying. And they probably were saying, what is this man doing? Why is he not going to his friend? I don't understand because they did not have the perspective. They didn't know that Jesus was allowing the situation to unfold exactly the way that it needed to, in order to bring the most people to his heart. Yeah. And that's what he does because he loves us. And because he loves us, he wills the good of us He wills for us to live in the fullness of what you're created for, which is in relationship with him. And so everything that he orchestrates, he does with the desire to bring us closer to his heart, right? So even though in our perspective, we look at this as, Jesus, what, what is going on here? What are you doing? Why are you not doing anything? He actually was doing something by not doing anything, And sometimes that's what he does in our lives. He allows things not to happen because he's working on something else or he's waiting for something else to pan out in the timing because he has this great perspective and he knows, yeah, he knows. He just knows what needs to happen and he knows when it needs to happen. And so when he ends up showing up to Mary and Martha and then raises Lazarus from the dead. It was this, right? It's this whole foreshadowing of his own death and resurrection. It was this display of his power over death. So many things that wouldn't have happened if he had ran to them right away when he found out that Lazarus was dying. So I think that that's love. He allows things to happen that are going to bring us closer to his heart because he wants us to be in a full relationship with him. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be perceived as unloving because people suffered. Mm, I think amen. I think that is mm. the common misunderstanding and easy place for us to trip. Is that if people suffer, that means God must not be loving. That those mm. are really not as related as we maybe make them. Yeah, um, particularly in American Christianity, I, I don't know that the rest of the world is struggling with that the same way we are in America. Um. Certainly, if you look at it from Martha's perspective, Martha and Mary asked the exact same question, right? Or say the same thing to Jesus. If you had been here, he would not have died. And they're kind of right. Like Jesus had the power to heal him. He had healed lots of other people. He could have healed. Why would he not run into a situation where he loved that person so clearly? Um, and that's because there was something bigger going on. And we just don't mm. understand that because we don't have the mind of God. We just yeah. don't. I don't really know how to describe faith any better than that. That we need to 
ask God for the mind of Christ that we're not necessarily going to always understand, but to simply step into a faith position or place that says, I trust you, even though I can't understand this right now. Yeah. I don't, I think I've shared this before, but I always just think about this when we talk about the perspective of God. But if you visualize a grandmother sitting on a rocking chair and you as a little child sitting at the feet of your grandmother and the grandmother is doing cross stitch from your perspective, you are underneath looking up at this cross stitch and all you see is like knots and these strings that are crisscrossing and they just, it just looks like a chaotic jumble, but the grandmother is looking at the cross stitch at the top of it, which is this beautiful work of art. And so we're sitting there going, what are all these knots going to create? And then eventually the grandmother flips over the cross stitch and shows us the picture that has been created. I always think of that image when I'm like, Jesus, I have no idea what you're doing right now. This makes no (laughs) sense to me. And I don't know where you're going. And it's just believing that I'm the little child sitting at the foot and I'm seeing the chaos. And I have to believe that there is a beautiful picture that is being created that I can't see. Amen. Amen. Yeah, no, it's really well said. I think the ways that I see love in this passage are the emotion of Christ. Mm. It It is very beautiful to me that this is the passage where we have the phrase, Jesus wept. A lot of people know that verse, but they don't know its context. And the context really matters. Like a very good friend of Jesus's has died and he is with the mourners mm. and he sees how terrible death is. And yet in the same way that we saw Jesus walking on the water and being in it with the disciples, he was in the storm too. He was Mm -hmm. just walking on the water while they were in the boat. Jesus is in this with them. Like he, in some ways it might've been worse for Jesus because he knew he did have the power to prevent it. And yet he had to play it out because there was this bigger plan. It's once again, such a beautiful foreshadowing of what he has to do in his own life in order to pay for the sins of the world. Right. Yeah. Um, But he is in it and he is walking with us and it is, it is causing him pain. Our pain causes God pain. I I just, Mm -hmm. I just find that so enormously powerful and beautiful. Yes. um, That we don't, pick that up in a lot of other sections. I think it's consistently there, but in this section, it's more explained. Like they use the word deeply troubled a couple of times too. Um, Yeah. I remember when I was on a mission trip to New York city, we were working with different religious orders, but we were doing a lot of work with the poor in New York city. And every day we would spend time in prayer. And at the very end of the mission trip, I was trying to figure out what it was that I learned Like, what was Jesus trying to teach me through this mission trip? And it was actually this passage and the line, Jesus wept, that continued to come up in prayer throughout the week. And I realized it was Jesus inviting me not to solve these people that I served, not to solve their problems. I wasn't being asked to be the superhero that solved world hunger or made everybody's suffering go away. But Jesus was inviting me into the pain. He was inviting me into their lives, into what they were feeling. 
because that's what Jesus does, right? To have empathy, to weep with those that weep. And that's what he just taught me through this mission trip is that sometimes, yeah, we just have to be with people in the spaces that they are. And that is love. Yeah. Just to be with people where they are. Yeah. No, that's really, that's very beautiful. I know we've used the phrase holding space for people. And I think, mm-hmm. I'm sure that concept's been around a long time, but that phrase is helpful for me because I am a fixer in my general makeup. <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to know what the problem is so I can fix it. Uh, and I've had to really learn how to slow that down and sit in the space because you just can't fix everything. You can fix some things, but you just can't fix everything. But you can always offer the fullness of your presence, and that's what Jesus did, right? He brought his Absolutely. brought his presence to it. So, and just because I'm a nerd and and I enjoy really <laughs> pulling these things out, the fact that he offers that I am the resurrection and the life to Martha is so beautiful to me. Oh, because in, yes. In an earlier story, Martha is the one who corrects Jesus, right? Where she actually kind of yells at Jesus and says, Lord, tell Mary to help me. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you going to do anything about this? Do right. you see this? Come what on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And Jesus' response is, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things, but Mary has chosen the good part and it will not be taken from her. Because Mary is mm. literally sitting at the Lord's feet, just learning from him. Mm. But Martha's doing what's expected of her as a Jewish woman in that context. She's taking care of everybody in the house, preparing food, setting the table, just doing all the cultural appropriate things. And so I just love that Jesus turns around and offers her this absolutely beautiful profound truth he offers it to to Martha and she says yes Lord I have believed that you are the Christ amen mm. so and I love to see her transformation right just from yeah. being this like busy body of like dee, 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 like moving all around to I just like picture her just running to Jesus and actually mm-hmm. that's her first instinct right like her it first is. instinct in the yeah. first story was well, I need to do work before I spend time with Jesus. And then the instinct in this story is I need to go straight to Jesus before we do anything else. Uh, It's just so beautiful to see the way that her heart was transformed through her encounter with Christ. Yeah. But she also does like, hey, Jesus, uh, he's been in there four days. It's not going to smell good. Just want to have all the facts. Right? So there's still parts, right? (laughs) Old Martha is still in there. She's still in there. Just continues to be transformed. But yeah. (laughs) She's like, I just, I do you really Jesus. know what you're you're getting into there? I just see Jesus smiling and maybe wink at her like, I got this. Don't worry. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> ah, oh, yes. A little bit of Martha and all of us. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, Andrea, how have you seen the love of God in your own story? Well, having 50 plus years to look back, um, it's obviously all over the place. Um, but I can look at some of the the big arcs, if you will, in terms of places that I started and places where I'm at now because I've got so much time, 30 years of knowing God, mm-hmm. that I remember back in college very clearly, probably didn't understand completely what my motives were, but 
I remember telling people regularly that I never wanted to get married and I never wanted to have kids that Mm. I just felt like it was too broken. Marriage was so broken that there was no way anybody could do it right and do it well. Mm. And that bringing kids into a broken world was just irresponsible and that religion was broken and it held no answers. These were my beliefs in college. Um, And so to see that I'm about to celebrate my 30th wedding anniversary, (laughs) to see four kids who are college age and above now, and to be so thankful for how God has rescued me. Um, Mm. I cannot... I cannot do anything but thank him for loving me so well, despite how broken I thought everything was. Mm. And I'm not pretending that there isn't broken elements to it all, but yet the love of God has shined in all of it. And the things that I thought I would never do have actually turned into my greatest blessings. Mm. I mean, that's, inc- that's incredible, right? Like. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't have to do that, but he, but he did. And, uh, Mm. and it's, it's more than transformative. It's overwhelming. And, uh, yeah. yeah. How about you, Liz? Dang. (laughs) My first response was my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because, yeah, I do. I just see especially now that I feel like I'm really looking for it. Like I just see the love of God every single day in so many different situations and all the sweet kisses and in the people that he's placed in my life and the relationships that I've been able to have. But I think, (laughs) yeah, the answer came in a place that from the outside does not look like an obvious story of love, which is the fact that, I am single as a 24 year old. (laughs) And I think that if most people, like if someone was to say, how do you, have you seen God's love in your story? And I'm like, I'm single at 24. They'd be like, what? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Because especially if they know me, because they know my desire is to be married. You desire to be married. To have children. But here's the thing. When I was going into my freshman year of college that summer, that I gave my life to Christ, that I gave my heart to Christ. When I let him in, he made a promise to me that he would protect and take care of my heart. And he will always hold it, but at some point that he would share it with somebody else, but only someone that could also take care of it and protect it. Yeah, in that moment, I knew that he was referring to my spouse someday that he would share it with whoever that is supposed to be. And so as I reflect back on all of my, just how much I have grown as a person and also all the relationships that I've had, there have been things that I have learned about myself in ways that I have grown closer and deeper to the heart of Jesus through every relationship that I have been in and every person that I've encountered. And I think about who I am now and the type of man and the relationship that I desire to have with my spouse someday. 
And I see how it more and more, the longer that I've waited, how it's become closer to the fullness of what marriage is supposed to be. Like my <laughs> desires for what I want Amen. is becoming more and more the desires of the fullness of what the sacrament of marriage is, where that was not the case even a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And so I see Jesus out of this just huge act of love, continuing to hold my heart and say, not yet, mm -hmm. because I made a promise to you that I would give it to someone who could hold it. And that the person that he eventually allows my heart to be shared with in my spouse, I know that that, yeah, the love between a man and a woman is a reflection of the love between us and God, Amen. this spousal love. And so my marriage should be a physical manifestation of the way that God loves me. And for me to be able to see that and pray with that and for that to bring me closer to the heart of Jesus. And so it's going to take a very special man to be able to play that role. <laughs> and, and I see that God recognizes that. And because of that has asked me to continue to wait and trust that what he has in store is beautiful and will be beyond anything I can possibly imagine. Yeah. That's really beautiful. That's really beautiful. And, and it takes us back a little bit to a more expansive definition of love, right? Like mm -hmm. love is not butterflies and rainbows all the time. Love is doing the hard mm -hmm. things. It is sitting in the spaces of faith and trusting. It is love takes a lot of different forms. You don't get to 30 years in marriage without some serious work. <laughs> and you don't raise four kids without some serious work. <laughs> um, and the love of God in my life has been absolutely, absolutely key. I think love is all of those things that you said. And as you were speaking about what love is, it just kept, my mind just kept playing the first Corinthians 13 verse in my head. Sure. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interest. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That Amen. is what love is. Amen. Amen. So, Miss Liz, as we finish mm. up our second season, hard to believe. Dang. Hard to believe, this is our 25th episode. That's insane. Uh, isn't wow. that incredible? Yeah. That was so good. Incredible. Uh, what? This has been so life-giving. So life-giving. It has. And it's been great to be totally connected to you this way. I'm so thankful for that. We did something super fun for us and hopefully it blessed other people. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Like that is what's so beautiful is this has helped me grow and dive into scripture and fall in love with scripture and Amen. have good conversations with Jesus and have things to meditate on. Just like we hope that it's doing for all of you darlings. And I just miss you, Liz. And I'm so <laughs> glad I get to see your face every week. <laughs> Sometimes multiple times a week. Multiple times. Um, and I'm always truly amazed, and I'm sure you are our darlings as well, that uh, you have such a wonderful 
insight into the scriptures, but also just a just a heart to know Jesus. And and my mm-hmm. hope, uh, our darlings, is that that has been an example to you. I think it's beautiful discipleship in so many ways that you just keep your hands as open as you can. And when you find you're closing them, you're like, oh, okay, I got to open my hands again. <laughs> open them up. Come on. <laughs> open them up. Come on. Um, such a teachable heart. And, uh, and it's just so refreshing for me to just constantly be with you. So, so thankful that we've been able to figure out how to continue to be on this journey together, even from a distance. That's such so a gift. Good. So good. Thank you. Mm. So, so what is your sweet kiss this week? Oh yeah. We this cannot says. skip the sweet kisses. We cannot, cannot skip them. <laughs> there will be riots if we skip <laughs> the sweet kisses. We don't want that to happen. So I feel it's only necessary that my sweet kiss has to do with the cute little old man. Oh, it's so good. Okay, so here's the story. I went to India on Friday and went to St. John the Evangelist, which is a church downtown. Very beautiful, old. It's like the oldest church in Indianapolis. Walked in and sat just in a random pew. And as soon as I sat down, this beautiful stream of light shone through the stained glass window directly where I was sitting. And so I just basked in the light for a little bit. And then there was an organ that started playing this like sweet, soft instrumental music in the background, which I love organ, especially organs in beautiful churches. It's just, it's a win-win. And Eucharistic adoration was happening. So Jesus was on the altar So I'm praying, the light's shining in. There is, yeah, there's music. I was like, oh, Jesus, this is so good. And then the (laughs) cutest little old man walked in right in front of me. He knelt before Jesus. This man had to be in his 80s. And he was like shaking to get down on both knees. But he knelt with both knees, bowed before our Lord. And then sat down right in front of me. He kind of blocked Jesus, but I wasn't even mad about it because I was like, you're so cute. And then prayed for a little bit and then went over to where the Mary statue was, lit a candle, and then came back and like prayed a rosary. And it was just so beautiful to see that devotion that even this man who was struggling to walk around was like, I'm going to get on both knees before my Lord and just bow before him. That part was beautiful. And also I was like, Jesus, you gave me like all the things that I love in a very short span of time in one place, like him, beautiful light, music, old people. I, the moment could not have gotten better. I was thriving. The (laughs) Eucharist. Oh yeah. That's yeah. It was just, oh, it was so good. So that was my sweet kiss that Jesus just is like, I love you. And I'll show you that I love you by bringing cute little old men into the, the church. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your so sweet beautiful. kiss, Andrea? Probably not anything to do with old man, men. <laughs> yeah, that is not, that's not my jam. That's just not my jam. Um, you know, my sweet kiss is super simple this week. It's been a little chilly here and mm-hmm. um, the sun was out it's it's been back and forth like it's typically very sunny here and so it's just been kind of uh hidden most of this week so there was just a an afternoon where it finally came out quite brilliantly and i just fell asleep in the sun on my back porch Ooh, that's so nice and i just i was in a sad space i'll be honest there were just some things going on and i just mm. felt sad and 
it was a very sweet kindness to fall asleep in the warmth of the sun. Oh, yeah. So that was it. Good. Oh, we love that Jesus loves us. (laughs) Oh, I just, yeah, there's so many things. So good. Also, okay, wait, I have a second little sweet kiss. The song Rescue by Lauren Daigle. So good. I It's so good. And I hadn't listened to it in a really long time. And I just started playing it the other day in the car because someone had like mentioned it. And I was like, oh, I haven't listened to that song in a while. I should listen to it. And I was just jamming. Yeah. It talks about like sending an army in the middle of the storm and they will, it, exactly. he will, Jesus will come for you and he will rescue you. Right. So I'm jamming to this song in my car, just on repeat. I look up in the sky. There's a hot air balloon. And I was like, Jesus, oh, he just loves us. He loves us. And I I just started like crying and laughing all at the same time because Jesus is telling me, he's like, I will come after you. Even when you don't want me to, like, I will come after you. And he was verbally saying that. And then also visually through the hot air balloon, it was like, remember the hot air balloon fleet? I felt like that that was what that little hot air balloon was about. So, oh, so good. I suppose I have a second one too. I bought a Jeep and it's really oh, fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Michael. Michael. The Archangel Jeep. It's He's so kind of great. My husband took him for a spin on his birthday yesterday and he was like, you know, we could do da 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 da. I'm like, yep, yep, we're going to do all that. <laughs> yep, we're going to do all of those things. We love it so, so much. Amen. But our darlings, thank you so much for your love, your support the way that you've journeyed with us for holding our hearts. And we just have loved hearing the ways that God has spoken to your heart, drawn you closer to him through listening to our experience of drawing closer to God as well. And we can't wait to continue this journey with you next season. Amen. We are so thankful that you've been on the journey with us. And uh, as we finish up here, we wanted to let you know that we may have a small Christmas present coming um, (laughs) and a bonus track uh, on Christmas day that we hope you'll enjoy. That'll be a little different from everything else we've done, but we are so thankful that you've been with us and Liz, will you take us out with our verse? I would love to remember our darlings that your lover, he comes to you. And he says, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me.